Good morning. It's good to see all of you. If you have already been here for the first service, then you know that our brother Leon Barnes is here with us from Little Rock, Arkansas. He is speaking to us today on this family day, and uh, he has already delivered a wonderful sermon at our first service this morning, and uh, he will be preaching again at the second service, and David will give a more formal introduction uh, at that time. He will also be speaking to us during our Bible class hour, so we're very thankful for, for him to be here. And if you don't know, he is the father of, of Tracy Shannon, David's wife, and uh, we're just happy that he is here and, and uh, speaking with us today. Brother Barnes asked that we would please sing uh, the Make Me a Servant song before he talks to us this hour in Bible class. So let's, let's sing this song together before he begins. <clears throat> Lord, make me a servant, Lord, make me like you, for you are a servant, make me one too. Lord, make me a servant, do what you must do. To make me a servant, Lord, make me like you. It's great to be here. We appreciate very much the opportunity to come and, and share with you today in this uh, great time together. Am I on this thing? It don't sound like I've got any life. It's Okay, uh, we're going to be talking this morning out of 1 Corinthians 16. So if you want to turn there, we'll be there in just a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. What we know most of the time about 1 Corinthians 16 is that's where it says on the first day of the week we ought to lay by in store as God has prospered us. But if you go on down in, in 1 Corinthians 16, I want you to see uh, something about a family here that I think makes a difference. Look beginning in verse 13. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for the ministry of the saints. And that you also ought to be subject to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. So here's a family that Paul holds up and says, now here's the kind of example that I want you to follow. I want you to be like this family in their service and commitment to God. One of the interesting things to me about Paul's writing is that quite often at the end of whatever book he's writing, there'll be a, a very personal charge or statement made to them about something that was going on in their life or about some people there that he really wanted them to recognize. And that's the case here. We don't know a whole bunch about this family. There aren't any, any books entitled Stephanus Family. All we really know about them is, is what's revealed here and the fact that they're mentioned back in chapter 1 
when, when Paul will say, I, I, the Lord didn't send me to, to baptize but to preach the gospel. And he said, I didn't baptize anyone among you except Crispus and Gaius. And, and I did also baptize the household of Stephanus. And so that's, a, that's the only other mention we have of them uh, anywhere in this. And so what in the world is there about this family that would make them something that we ought to look at and follow that example and be like them? When you think about family life, in our worship time today, both in the first and the second, we're going to talk specifically about our life in the family and our relationships to one another. But in, in this time, I want to talk more about the family of God and, and how our personal families ought to be part of the whole family of God's structure and our work there. In most churches, especially churches that are really doing a lot of things, there's a constant need for more workers. Uh, you, you're always looking for people that will fill this slot or do that particular job or teach in that class. And, and there are some things that you always have an oversupply of people to do some things, but usually those things that have to do with you got to do this and be here every week and, and study and prepare for it, uh, those don't usually have people lining up to get to them. Uh, we usually have to struggle in every church I've ever been a part of. We've had to struggle to get enough people, for example, to, to work in the nursery. You know, that's, that's one of those wonderful, wonderful jobs but I, don't, I never have seen a church that just had people lined up wanting to work in the nursery. Now, they really want you to have one because uh, they don't want all those babies in here and crying during the service. So, and I don't want to have to fool with my three or four little ones. So let's have somebody in the nursery to take care of them. I've noticed in, in several churches in our area in, in Little Rock, uh, they have given up on getting their own people to do nursery work and they, they run ads in the paper on a regular basis to hire someone to work their nurseries. And so I find that interesting. It's hard to get some jobs done in the church. Most congregations have a hard time getting enough teachers for preschool and, and for uh, the elementary ages. There are just some things that, that we tend to always have uh, difficulties getting the workers for. Well, I think the answer to that whole problem is found in, in these verses that we just read. And I hope you'll see them there in a few minutes. One of them, when, when Paul gets down to making his final charge to them as a church, it's interesting, it's, it's be alert, be strong, act like men. What does it mean to act like a man? If you were to obey that, your King James Version says, quit you like men. That's even stranger. Uh, what does it mean to, to quit like a man? Or I know a lot of men that quit nearly everything they do. Is that what he's talking about? I really want somebody to say something. This isn't, uh, 
This is class time. Why would he tell us to act like men? Does he want women to act like men too? Now, I'm going to keep asking these and somebody will answer something. Yes. Be responsible. All right. Any other ideas on, on what is involved in acting like men? Say that again. All right, good. I heard one from this direction. Be mature. I think there are a lot of ideas, not just one. It is tied with that notion of being strong. You see, on both aspects of it, he would say, be strong, stand strong, or stand firm. And so it has to do with that courage and standing up for the things that really do matter. And then it's as though Paul, in making those charges, thinks about the family of Stephanus. You know, he said, the family of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia. Now, there's point number one we're going to talk about. They are the first fruits of Achaia. The idea of first fruits in the Bible is, is an amazing idea. If you go all the way back, the Bible, even back in, in, in the very beginning chapters of Genesis, will talk about first fruits. You remember when the distinction is made between Abel's offering and Cain's offering? And Abel went out and, and brought of the firstling of the flock and of the fat thereof. Let me, let me translate that into, into one of our uh, newer translations. He went out into his herd and he found the very best that he had and one that looked great, looked healthy, and, and it was just a beautiful lamb. And he brought the first and the best to offer it unto God. Now, Cain also made an offering. He went out, he was a farmer, he took out the fruit of the ground, and he brought some of it and offered it to God. Most of the time in our fellowship, we've said, well, what that means is that Abel offered a blood sacrifice and his was accepted and Cain offered a vegetable sacrifice and his wasn't for that reason. I don't believe that's right. I think the point is made there that the reason God accepted Abel's offering is he gave the first and the best. And Cain gave some. He went and got if he had gotten the first and the best and brought an abundant amount, I believe his offering would have been accepted just like Abel's. Nothing at this point had been said about it being a blood sacrifice. That comes years later from this. So uh, I, I think he's talking about God accepts that offering when we come to give him the first and the best. One thing in Bob, in offering first fruits about anything is that it is a commitment that more is coming. When they brought the first fruits of the harvest to make it an offering unto God, it was number one saying, we believe God is going to bless the rest of the harvest, that based on our bringing this, 
God's going to bless the rest of our harvest as well. And when he does, we're going to bring abundantly out of that part of the harvest as well to give it as an offering unto God. We, we make a commitment of a lifetime, a commitment of service unto him, that one particular thing is just the beginning of it. If I say to you today, Joe, and I don't know who Joe is, by the way, but Joe's one of your members, and, and uh, I say, you know, Joe is a really good worker in the church. What comes to your mind? What kind of picture do you have to, to flash before you when I say that Joe is a good worker? He's involved. What kind of things Joe do? <laughs> All right. All right. Whatever's required of him. Uh, you know, I, I, here's the point I, I hear a lot of times when you ask that question. Well, he, he's involved in the worship services. So many times when we think about work at church, what we think about is what you do inside the church building on Sunday morning between uh, 9 and, and 11.30 or whatever time it is we get through. That that's working in the church. I, you know, I don't believe that's a very good definition of church work. Uh, if it is, then we, we really aren't very good workers uh, because it just doesn't require all that kind of work for us to be able to come here and worship God. Now, it's a real commitment of, from me individually to worship God with all of my heart and soul, mind, and strength. But at the same time, that's that just, oh, that's sort of like dropping by the, the, the filling station to get the energy to go on and do the work the rest of the week. The work of the church isn't done in these pews. The work of the church is done out there in the world making a difference in the lives of other people day by day. We're to do good to all men, especially the household of faith. When our Lord pictured the judgment scene, Matthew 25, he didn't say, well, I came to services every week and you were there. He said, I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me and they said, Lord, when did we do that? We don't remember that. When did we do that? And he said, inasmuch as you did it unto one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. And then he turned to those on the left and said, depart you cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels because I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't come to me. And again they said, Lord, when did we do that? When did we fail that way? If we'd just known it was you, man, we would really have done something good. He said, in as much as you did it not unto one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it not unto me. So here's what I want you to see. When God pictures the, the family of God at work and service, 
it's about helping people where they hurt. It's about being involved in the lives of those who are struggling. It's about visiting the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and keeping oneself unspotted from the world. So God has a plan. And and he said, here was this couple that they served as the first fruits of Achaia because when they came to God, they were not just the first ones to make that commitment. They came making a full commitment unto God and their life was such that it would bring many more to the family of God as well. Think for just a minute. Who do you know in your life, could be yourself by the way, that that when they became a child of God, it just started a flow of people coming to God. That there, that it just seemed to open people's lives, and many others came to Christ as a result of that particular individual becoming a Christian. Let me tell you a quick story. Some years ago, we were living down in Mississippi, and. Uh, just had gotten out of Freed Hardeman University and, and the first job uh, we had in, in our preaching work. And, and early in the time we were there, there was a lady that uh, called up one of our members one day and said, I've been listening to a radio program that somebody in your, your fellowship's been doing and I want to become a Christian. And so we baptized this lady. She was 89 at the point when we baptized her. From that day on to the rest of her life, which wasn't a long time, by the way. She lived about four more years after that. But she had her, her daughter, who, who was a young lady. Uh, she was only about 65 or 66 at that time. Uh, but she had her daughter to bring her to church with her every week. And, and her deepest prayer to God was that, that Vera, the daughter, would become a Christian. Well, those years went by and Vera was there, but Vera made no hint or, or made no secret of the fact that she was there to bring her mother and to help her out. And it's when her mother died, she didn't plan to be back. Well, she died. But the next Sunday, Vera was there. And the next one, she was there. And I think it was the third week that she was there. I went by and picked up one of the other men in the congregation. We went out to visit Vera and, and asked her about her faith in Jesus Christ. She said, yes, I, I do believe in, in Jesus Christ. And, and ask her, are you ready to be baptized, to be buried with him in water to start a new life? And she said, I am. I've been wondering when you were going to ask. And, and so we took Vera and baptized her in Christ. Now, I would have, have uh, given nearly anything at that time if, if her mom had been able to be there and see it. But thank God, the life of that mother affected Vera. But now the story doesn't stop nearly there. We, we moved away from there in 73 and when, when we moved away that was, it was just the daughter that was coming. We were back there, I was back there in a meeting a couple of years later and 
Now Vera had brought her brother and he had started attending and, and had been baptized. I was back there again about three years later in a meeting and now it was Vera and her brother and, and her brother's three kids that were all coming. They were grown kids, by the way. They were all uh, moving on up. And, and then we were back there three or four years after that and, and all of the kids' mates had been baptized. They were married. And, and by this time, all of them had children that were involved. Now, the story just keeps on going because we go back there for meetings every year or so still. And, and it seems like every time we back, get back there, there's another set of the Dabbs family that's come to Christ. And it all started with one little lady that was the first fruits. She, she made such a difference in her life, it would affect generations of people. And now one of the, the very active deacons in that congregation is one of the, the great-grandsons of Miss Vera Dabbs. And so it's amazing what can happen when you're the first fruits. Listen, God wants everyone that comes to him to be someone that is drawing others to him. That they're involved in not just being a child of God themselves, that that's, I'm not like the Dead Sea, that it just sort of flows into me and stops. But I'm one that is reaching out to bring others. I, I want to be first fruits in, in my commitment to God. Second thing it says about them, he said, you know the household of Stephanus that they have addicted themselves or they have devoted themselves or they have appointed themselves, all different translations of the same concept, to the ministry of the saints. And here's what I want you to see today. The elders didn't go to the house of Stephanus and say, hey, we've got a job we want you to do for the church here. Preacher didn't call him up and say, listen, I want to take you to lunch and we've got this extremely important job and I just believe that, that your family is the right one to do this job. It'll really fit you well. None of that happened. Instead, what happened was they had a family meeting and decided they would appoint themselves to do this particular work in the kingdom of God. That that rather than sending a letter to the elders telling them, you know, we ought to start this particular kind of work in this church, or rather than calling up the preacher and saying, you know, I think this church is big enough and strong enough, we ought to be doing thus and so, they had their family meeting and appointed themselves to do the job. Isn't that interesting? It didn't even require an elders meeting. Probably because they weren't going to take any money out of the treasury to do it, but uh, it was something they did for themselves. When was the last time you appointed yourself to a work in the kingdom of God? See, here's what's happened in, in churches all across the world is that we, we become a little bit more business-like and, and some of that's good. But 
the, the idea is that everything has to go back up here to the, to the guys that are the leaders and, and I have to get permission to do just about any kind of work or service in the kingdom of God as a part of this church. I don't believe that's biblical at all. You know, when you read the book of Acts, you remember when, when they appointed the seven deacons, you know, there were some appointments that went on, but it wasn't long until Stephen, one of those deacons, appointed himself to be a preacher. Now, he had a hard end. When he gave the invitation, uh, they, they stoned him to death, so that wasn't a, uh, didn't work out real well. But right after that, Philip had a meeting with himself and appointed him to go down and preach in Samaria. See, what I want you to see is that in the first century church, they were constantly addicting themselves, appointing themselves to do the work. Most of the things that God requires us to do as a Christian don't need any business meetings to get them done. They just need somebody that loves the Lord enough to say, hey, I think I could do that, and we'll go and do it. That'll make that kind of appointment and, and become addicted to that work. I wonder what it was. This, they addicted themselves to the ministry or the service of the saints. What do you suppose that might have been? I was in Corinth a couple of three weeks ago, and... Uh, visited a museum there uh, very close to, the, to where the, uh, the city, the Agora, the shopping center was in, in that time when Paul was there. Corinth had, had some unusual things about it that may give us a clue of what was going on. They, it was supposed to be a great medical center as well at that time. And as a part of the healing arts, they would, they would take whatever body part it was that, that was ill and they would make a, a, a clay, what, liver or whatever it was. They, they'd make one like it and then they would make that as an offering to their gods as some way to get the healing. What's uh, intriguing about it is that written on the material there is that uh, sexually transmitted diseases were so prevalent in Corinth that uh, the lifespan was very short and, and that most of the healing arts were somehow trying to solve that problem without changing their way of living. They weren't willing to make a moral change and, and change their whole life structure, but they wanted the effects of that life to go away. And so you have all these different things that were there where they, they were trying desperately to find a cure to, to the sexually transmitted diseases in that world. I, I have to wonder, looking at a society where it was said in some of the literature that was there, the, the age span typically for a man born in Corinth would be 26 years. If you just think about that, 
Uh, how many children must there have been in that city that didn't have a dad or didn't have a mom or a dad? I think that may give you an insight into where some of the service may have been or the commitment. And, and with the, the, the problem surrounding their, their uh, idol's temple to the goddess of sex where, where they had 500 prostitutes that, that were there in some kind of uh, sordid worship to their God, that that would be that would be at the center of life in Corinth. That may give us some insight into the kind of things they were doing. They were there. See, I don't believe that it was a ministry of going out and carrying signs saying that we ought not to be doing that. I believe it was more of the, the kind of thing we hear people that are left shattered and hurting and here are children that are struggling because of the lifestyle and we're going to commit ourselves to doing something that will help in those situations. They got involved in the ministry and the serving of the saints wherever the needs might be. See, the reason it's important for us to, to look at that in, in terms of, that are pretty general is this. What the needed ministry is in Mount Juliet is likely not the same one that was there in Corinth. And it's likely not the same one that is there in, in Little Rock. And it's likely not the same one that would be in other congregations in, in the Nashville area. Every congregation has a very unique place to fill in the world, a kind of ministry and service that needs to be done. But if we wait until we have some kind of organized program to meet the needs that are there in our world, then most of those needs will never be met. But I want to tell you, if every family that's part of this church said, we're going to take this particular thing as our, our ministry. Another family wants to join with us and help us with that, we'd, we'd love to have you, but we're taking this particular thing on that we're going to use to serve God. Just imagine the difference you could make in this area if every single member knew exactly what their ministry was in the family of God and it wasn't just something they were doing because the elders had asked them to and they hated to say no but because they were addicted to it. They were sold out to that particular need and cause and nothing was going to stop them from being able to do that job. See, there's the kind of thing that I believe God has in mind for his church in every place. Over in Ephesians chapter five or four, when he talked about being a prisoner of the Lord and he encouraged them to endeavor to keep the unity of the faith in the bond of peace. And he laid out the seven one, there's one body, one spirit, even as you're called one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and in you all and through you all. But then it goes on and it says, 
And he ascended on high and led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. There's a parenthesis there then. And then he picks back up and he gave, verse number 11, and he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we will no longer be children tossed to and fro and cared about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and by cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love that we may grow up into him who is the head, even Christ. Now watch verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and compacted together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working in the measure of every part makes increase of the body to the building up of itself in love. You can read your Bible from cover to cover in every translation that's come out in the last hundred years. And you'll not find a clearer statement on how to have a growing, dynamic church than what we just read out of Ephesians 4. When you get every member, every family, when every one of them are equipped to serve in that body, to build up the body, and every single member, every every tendon, every muscle, everyone there is doing their part for the building up of that body. It will be developed and grow up not just in numbers but in love and, and it will keep on reaching people for God when you have that kind of spirit. Every one of us are unique. We have unique opportunities, unique talents, new, unique gifts from God. And so I can't just look at somebody else and say, I'm just like them, I'll do what they do. I need to look into my life and see what God is calling on me to do in, in a given area of the work. They addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints and thank the Lord he didn't tell us what they did because if he had, we'd, you know, we'd try to center in on that one thing and say that's, that's what we need to be doing. And so he left it wide open. Look around to see where the needs and the hurts are in our world. I met with a group of people about a month ago now that talked about, and, and this may not be true in your area at all, but it talked about that in, in Pulaski County where we live, that on any given day there are between 340 and 350 orphan children that don't have a place to go. And these children, by the way, were all under the age of 11. And they said that on every given day, uh, there was that vast amount that there was no one there that wanted to be a foster child or a foster parent for, for these children and no one that would consider adopting well, you think there might be a ministry that's available for some folks 
in that area? I'd say that there are. And, and you know, it's interesting to me when you can think about that and say, oh, the, the real need is, is somewhere across the ocean. Well, there are great needs there. And I'm certainly for doing everything we can there. But I want to tell you, you can probably look in your own county and find lots of folks that are struggling with different things right here. So they addicted themselves. Now, and Paul then says, I want you to follow their example. You, you know such people. I want you to follow them. Live that kind of life. I want you to be the ones that, that addict yourselves, that appoint yourselves to the particular job. We struggle with all kinds of addictions in our world that are horrible, that do people tremendous amounts of harm, but there is a godly addiction that we can have. I can be so sold out to Jesus Christ and doing the work that He wants me to do that it could be called an addiction. And, and that, that has taken over my life to the degree that I'm looking for another way to be able to serve Him in the world that I'm a part of all the time. Now, if today, if we could pull back and all of us change our, our thinking and our focus for a little bit, I believe it would change the church entirely in a good way. If I ask you today, who are your ministers? What names would come up? Now, you don't have to call them out, but probably you're going to think about the guys that uh, you're paying to do a particular ministry. Wouldn't that be right? Isn't that what we would normally think of? Is that biblical? Now, it is true, they have a ministry. So in that sense, it's true. Is it true that they are the only ministers that are, are in this church? Well, no. The truth is, every single Christian is a minister of this congregation. Every single member is a priest unto God for this congregation. Wouldn't it be great if, if, if every member of the Mount Juliet Church carried a card every day that said, hey, I'm John Doe, I'm one of the ministers at the Mount Juliet Church. Well, uh, what do you do? Well, give them what you do, what you've appointed yourself to do in the kingdom of God. It would be absolutely amazing what any church could do if it could take every member they have and, and get them to believe with all their heart that God has called each of them to ministry in the kingdom. That would be true if it's the little guy that's just been baptized at 10 years old or the young lady at 10 that is just... See, somebody says, you believe in women ministers? You bet you lie. Most of the best ones I've known have been women because they are serving. That's what the word ministry means. It's to serve. And so when I say I'm, I'm giving myself to that ministry, it's the idea I'm going to be a servant. I'm going to commit myself to that particular thing. We, we have in this country largely followed that American way idea of uh, most of the people come 
and our members and watch. And a few people really come and work hard and serve as ministers in the body. And that's a horrible concept of the church. See, there, there are no observers in the kingdom of God. There, there, there's no one that has the spiritual gift of criticizing. It's not there. He calls us instead to get involved, to appoint ourselves, and to become the servants that we ought to be. And, and if everybody did that, boy, wouldn't it be neat? Wouldn't that be great? Let me ask you one other thing. I don't know why. I've got, I got just a second longer. I want, I want you in your mind right now, everybody especially that lives here in the Mount Juliet, I want you to think of somebody that, that you see as a Christian that you would say if you were writing this letter and, and you wanted to commend this particular person, here is a great example of the kind of family life you ought to have. You, here is a family that, that they've been members of the body for years and, and they have really just appointed themselves to ministry. What name? And again, I'm not concerned whether you call it out or not. I'm concerned that you think it. Uh, what, what person's name would come into your, what mental picture would you get of somebody that had really appointed themselves to ministry in the kingdom? Do you have somebody? Now, it would be tough, really, if we couldn't any of us think of anybody. That wouldn't be a good thing at all. I hope everybody has someone in your mind. L let me ask you to do one thing today. If you had somebody in mind, go to them today sometime, either after this service and between it and the next one, or uh, at the picnic or this afternoon, or the lunch, whatever we're calling it, uh, find them and tell them, you and your family are the ones that I chose to be the Stephanus for the church at Mount Juliet. Think about what a blessing it would be for someone who knew you to come up to you and say, boy, there, you are the very example of what we ought to be that I'm, I'm holding out there for people to see. I think that would be a, an inspiration. And I don't have a doubt in the world that you've got lots of people here that would fit that mold. Look for someone and appoint them. Let them know that you're behind them and praying for them. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for your love, for your grace, for all of the, the blessings that you give to us on a regular basis. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be here today and to worship you. Thank you, Father, for this good church and all the things that they are doing in serving you in the world and in serving this community. Father, we pray today that that you would bless our time together in worship to you and that we might all be inspired to give, to do, and to become all that you would have us to be. 
and to do and become. Father, we pray that you would help us to be the kind of influence and example that others could see and find you. Be with us in all that we do and bless our entire program today that it would bring glory to your name. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you all.